Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey, all you podcasters out there, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Chandler's Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and I am grateful uh, to be talking to you uh, during this podcast today because we are wrapping up uh, our series on parenthood where we are talking about uh, how we raise our, our kids in a world today that is uh, really rough and different than what we were raised in and uh, how God shares and tells us how to raise our kids. And so I know sometimes for parents that can be a rough subject, but um, we don't want to be told how to do things. And that's not what I'm necessarily how, telling you what to do today. It's just giving some advice from our Heavenly Father. And so I appreciate you being here uh, and listening and, and, and participating today. So if you are listening, I believe you are listening for a reason and a purpose, as always, that my prayer that will that will be shown to you today. So I want to start off by asking you guys all a question of how many of you ever been around a mom or a dad uh, who just had a little baby. I'm sure many of you have been around them, and you probably watched as the parents go crazy and how adorable, cute, and perfect their little child is, right? They do that goo-goo-ga-ga thing, and they're talking, oh, my baby's perfect, she's perfect, he's perfect, they're perfect, you know. Everything about them, they're perfect. Uh, You all know what I'm talking about. Now, I have to tell you, um, there have been times where I have wanted to say, not only do they not look perfect, but your baby kind of looks ugly. Now, I know that sounds really rough and everything, but let's just let's just be real with each other, okay? Because sometimes they just come out looking like a cross between E.T. and Papa Smurf. Let's just, let's just be real for a moment, right? Sometimes they just do look ugly. But the parents say, my baby's perfect. They're perfect in every way. By the way, I have two grandbabies, and they are perfect, just so you know, <laughs> okay? But all joking aside, I'm kidding. I think babies are all awesome, except babies are not perfect. We need to understand that. We need to acknowledge that they are sinful little beings just like us. We are born with the sin nature. And Scripture says three in Romans 3.10 through 12, there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. Not only are our children not perfect, but they are sinful. In all reality, none of us ever look at the little baby and think, well, maybe one day my baby will grow up and have their whole body pierced. Uh, we never think that they will give them some money one day and then we'll go crazy with the credit card and all those kinds of things. We never think our children will become addicted and boozers, and yet some do. I have two children, and I can remember a moment where I looked at them and I asked the question, I wonder what God has in store for my, for my little boy and my, my little girl. I had one of each. And I remember thinking, what's God going to do with them? But let me tell you what I never thought I was, what I was going to do when I was sitting around holding my, my babies. I never thought maybe one day I would take you to rehab or you don't, you just don't think things like that, right? You don't think to yourself, well, maybe this little child will be bulimic or suicidal or rebellious or, or a drug addict or violent or whatever. You just don't think those thoughts. And yet occasionally, maybe more than occasionally, the ones that we love end up going in the wrong direction. 
So if you're like me and, and so many others, you want to believe that if we really just have good intentions and if we try really, really hard, our kids have to turn out okay. And yet we see examples all around us today and in Scripture where that's just not always the case. For example, if you study the Old Testament, there's a guy named, uh, with the name of Samson in there. I mean, I'm sure many of you heard that name before. And if there's anyone who's had it going on, if there's anyone who should have gotten it right, it was Samson. A few things that you may not know about him is that he was one of a half a dozen people that were born by the touch of God. And if that's not an upper hand, I don't know what it is, what is, right? On top of that, he was one of three divinely announced births. Uh, it is obvious God had something special for Samson. And on top of that, he was only one of two people in all of Scripture where it was recorded that he was called by God before the day that he was even born. He, he, he came from a, a great family. He had all sorts of, of advantages, was stronger than an ox. And yet, this guy who obviously had God all over him, great parents and everything, struggled with lust problems and got in trouble with women over and over and over again. Eventually, because of his sinfulness, he had his head sh uh, shaved bald, uh, which was a tremendous disgrace for him. Uh, his eyes gouged out. He was paraded all over town, and his people were mocking God and his parents. Uh, if anyone should have gotten it right, it was, it was Samson. So today we're going to talk about the perspective of a parent when things don't get or go the way we want them to go. When our kids go and live outside of God's parameters, when they are prodigals, and many of you have prodigals right now. Others of you, one day you will, and others might. And in those seasons of hurt and loneliness and emptiness, panic and pain, here's something that may bring you a sense of encouragement to you today, all right? And that is this. God understands parental pain. God understands parental pain, okay? There's no one who understands better of what it's like to hurt as a parent than God. And I'm going to give you an example. It comes from Isaiah uh, 1. Verses 2 and 3, listen to what he says. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. In other words, the animals even know who they belong to, but Israel does not know. His people do not understand. God understands parental pain. Now think about what God did. If there's anyone who's perfect, it is God. We know that, right? The perfect father. And he took Adam and Eve and he put them in the perfect environment, paradise. He said, go be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, rule over it. You are naked, have lots of kids, enjoy the garden. But there's only one rule, eat from any tree you want, but don't eat from that one. He gave them a simple rule and what happened? They rebelled against it. And so what did he do? He disciplined them, like what we talked about last week, given discipline by correction, driven by love, right? Adam, you are going to work your buns off and toil all day long. And Eve, you know what? You're going to have to submit to him. And when you have babies, you're going to scream really, really loud, okay? <laughs> and then he left them, uh, let them face the consequences of their own sin. In the book of Judges, Israel faced the consequences of their sin, good parenting from Father God, right? And then when what they... They didn't work, when it didn't work in the era of Solomon, he said, well, maybe I'll just be really generous and bless them and bless them and bless them and bless them and bless them, and then I'll, they'll know that I know that um, I am their God. And, and yet they'll still, they still rebelled against him. He tried everything possible, and yet his own children continue to rebel. rebel. 
He understands your pain. My wife and I have our two kids. Uh, we stopped at two because they're perfect. <laughs> no. Uh, overall, though, uh, we had it pretty easy raising our kids. Uh, they were both very smart and talented, funny, loving. But there were times where we thought we might be raising some Jedis. Okay? Now, stick with me here, okay? Because all of their talents and intellect that it came with them, there were always potential for good and evil, both good and evil. Okay? In other words, we weren't sure what side of the force they were going to be on, if you look at it that way, okay? the good side or the dark side. We weren't sure. There were times where we really had to work with them. Faithfully and thankfully, they, they've grown up to be great kids, uh, great adults, and great parents of their own as well. In reality, not all kids always do that. Okay? They are not always on track. We try and teach them things, but sometimes they just don't listen, right? We try to, but they just don't listen. For example, uh, many years back, my, my family and I were able to get free tickets to go to a PGA uh, golf tournament. And we got to see Tiger Woods, Vijay Singh, Jesper Parnovic, uh, John Daly, many others. And we would walk from hole to hole and watch many different players. And well, one at one point, we decided to stop at a little par three tee box and I mean, we were so close to the, this tee box. Uh, we were only about 10 feet from where the golfers, um, from where they were hitting, okay? You know, it, it was great. My, my family um, was just in a great uh, position. Now, you need to understand something. If you have never been to a live tournament or played golf before ever anywhere, uh, you don't make any noise during a golfer swing, especially in a PGA for in PGA golf, because uh, you see it all the time. These these pr professional golfers, they get mad. You see it on TV. They get mad for people that make noise or talk during their swing uh, and, and so forth. So I made sure to explain to my kids, hey, guys, we can't make any noise. We can't be talking while they're swinging and stuff. And so here we are watching this hole, and here comes Ben Curtis. Now, if you don't know who Ben Curtis is, Ben Curtis at this time was a couple years removed from a Brit from being the British Open champion uh, from the from uh, from years prior. Only two years prior from when we got there. And uh, he and his caddy are talking things over. And, and you hear this rustling sound, okay? And the, caddy's, the caddy turns to the crowd and politely, you know, just, does the shh to everyone. And I didn't think of anything much of it. And then a couple of minutes later, I hear that sound again. And so did Mr. Ben Curtis and his caddy. And the caddy turns and says, quiet, please. And now I'm thinking, who in the world keeps making this noise? Don't they know that it's bad etiquette? They, they shouldn't be doing this. And so now it's Ben Curtis's turn to hit, and, and he gets up to the address the ball, and what that means is get up, and he's just about to swing. And as he's doing this, the rustling sound comes back. And I'm like, would they just stop? You know, in my head, I'm kind of, come on, come on. You've been told twice. And at that moment, Ben's caddy starts to walk towards our family. So I start looking around me and, and then behind me and trying to figure out who's making this noise. And so the caddy comes up straight, stands straight in front of me, and he bends down and he grabs a hold of the bag that my son is holding. It was us, right? My son was swinging his little, little gift bag back and forth against the shorts, making the sound, even after I told him that, that we had to be super quiet. We can't make any movement and sounds. He just did not listen to me. Uh, fortunately, the caddy just held it there until Ben Curtis hit and then gave one of his golf balls out of his bag and told my son uh, to have fun for the day. And it was a good time and glad it wasn't a horrible thing. But man, I just, I can remember he just didn't listen. Why didn't you listen, son? Well, what do you do when your own child runs from God's standards 
and from your old standards. Now, my son did not run from God's standards necessarily at that time, but he did run from my standards, right? And so we're talking about prodigals. Now, you might be thinking the prodigal is just a runaway. Well, the prodigal is many things, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you to think that you probably know some prodigals, right? Now, for those of you that have a prodigal child, you know the pain right now, okay? Others of you, you may know a prodigal who's a, who's a friend. I have a friend that I deeply love who's turned his back on God and others and is, and is a prodigal and has left people hurt, hurting just like you would not believe, okay? And some of you, you have family members like that. Others of you have a spouse that is a prodigal at this moment. So what do we do when someone that we love runs from away from God? Well, let's, for, let's look at what Scripture says in Luke 15, when Jesus told about a story about a runaway son and the unbelievable love of his father. And you probably many of you have heard this story before. It's the story of the prodigal son. We're going to start in verse 11. Uh, Luke 15, verse 11, he also said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. Now let's pause there for a moment because that's what prodigals do. Okay, Maybe you have a prodigal who will set off for a distant spiritual country. They said, you know what, all this Jesus stuff, this Christianity, I don't buy it anymore. I'm, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. I'm, I'm going to explore. I'm not just going to buy into this just because mom and dad say it's true. Okay, so they're off on a distant spiritual country. Other times, uh, it's a distant moral country. Okay, mom and dad, you, you've got these rules. You say this is right. Who says you are right? And, and I want to do this. I want to do that. And so they set off for a distant moral country to do things on their own. And that's what this son did. So now if you're taking notes if, of any kind, whether whenever you see a prodigal, almost every time you will see three common ingredients of the runaway, okay? So the first one is this, of a prodigal. Prodigals generally become increasingly self-centered, right? They are focused even more so on, well, this is what I want to do. I don't care about you. Forget you all. This is where I'm going. This is just how I'm going to do it, so forget it. I don't care what you think. It's all about me. Secondly, prodigals think they know all the answers, right? And this is a really tough season on parents who have a lot of life experience, okay? And then some 15-year-old comes in and basically says, Mom and Dad, you know what? You don't know squat. You're stupid. You're looking at this person with very little life experience, and you are hurting because all of a sudden they believe you are stupid and don't listen to your advice anymore. And the third very common ingredient is that prodigals demand immediate gratification. Give me my share of my estate and give it to me now. I'm going to do, go out and do my own thing. I want a party now, and I want what I want now. I like the story of a son who turned 16. He had very long hair, and his dad hated it. And the son said, Dad, I'm 16. All of my friends have a car. I want you to buy me a car. And the dad said, Son, until you get the haircut, we're not going to do, even talk about a car. And the son said, yeah, but dad, Jesus had long hair. And the dad said, yeah, but son, Jesus walked everywhere he went. I like that, right? Prodigals. It becomes all about them. They become increasingly self-centered. They think that they know all the answers, and they demand immediate gratification. All right? Let's read on in our story, verse 14. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck the country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one could give him anything. 
This is the biblical version of the prodigal's downward spiral. And let me just say that when a prodigal leaves the protective parameters of God, they always eventually go down. Some of you, you are prodigals right now, and sin is admittedly fun for a little while, but, but kid yourself not, either later today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, or if you're lucky, the year after that, your sin will find you out. And when it does, it will cost you more than you want to pay. It will take you down. Like I said, we just read the biblical version of the downward spiral. So I want to tell you what I think is a modern day version of the story that sounds like, um, like this. Okay, let's just let's just go with this. The son says, "Mom and Dad, okay, you raised me in church, but I don't buy it. I don't buy this God stuff. I'm not sure if it's real. I don't want to do it." And so the son goes out and says, "Forget your tight rules. I'm going to live the way I want to live." And he finds some wild friends, and they get mixed up in the party scene. Starts drinking like crazy, beer bottom drinking. Going crazy before long, alcohol isn't enough. Starts messing around with some drugs and finds himself or herself becoming angry, bitter, increasingly violent. Starts seeing some girls or some guys looking for some user-friendly women and men. Kind of sows their wild oats. Gets a little crazy before long. He or she finds him or herself stealing things from people. Then one day, uh, they get arrested for stealing and their parents think they're finally hit bottom. But this prodigal is so hard-headed, they keep on going and going and going, and so one day it catches up with them. They get so drunk that they pass out on the side of the road with their head exposed to the passing by traffic. And you might be saying at this point, isn't this a little dramatic? Well, maybe, maybe not. Because in the modern day, that's often the way things play out, right? We see it on the news all the time. The prodigal wakes up and realizes that they're almost dead. They finally hit bottom. And I like the son in Luke 15, he comes to his senses. And at that point, his life is royally screwed up and he's hurting. But let me tell you who's hurting even more. His parents are hurting even more, watching him go through this. And you know who's hurting even more than his parents? His heavenly father. He hurts more even than his parents hurt. And let me tell you what the parents are doing. They are, they are at home questioning everything they did. Where did we go wrong? How did we mess up? Dear God, what should we have done differently? You know, and they may be arguing back and forth. Dad said, we should have spanked him. And mom says, no, I'm afraid we're too hard on him. We should have made him more responsible. We should have helped him get a job. We should have disciplined him better. We shouldn't have just given him everything. We should have put them in private school. If we wouldn't have had her let a girl, them go off on spring break trip with all those wild people, then, then, then they would have never started down this road. We shouldn't have done this. We shouldn't have given him a cat when he was only a kid. That's when it all broke loose, that stupid cat, right? <laughs> Parents, those of you with a prodigal, let me just tell you right now, it's not all your fault. Sure, we could have all done better things. Sure, we, we have ba- big major influence in our children's lives. But just like we can't take all the credit when, t- we turn, when they turn out great, right? We also can't take all the blame when they struggle. God is ultimately the one that helps them turn out great. And God is ultimately the one that can bring them out of the trouble that they're in. Don't beat yourself up until there's no more faith left in you, okay? So if you've got a prodigal, a son or a daughter, a friend like I do, a family member, somebody, what do you do? How do you reach them? Well, let's look at three biblical thoughts. How do we reach our prodigals, okay? The first thing we'll start with is, number one, is unwavering prayer. Unwavering prayer. 
I like this prayer that Paul expressed in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. Uh, this church in Colossae was actually doing very well, and Paul said, to, said this to them, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. What do we do? We, we don't stop praying. Why? So that their life may be in submission to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they may please him in every single way. What do I hear oftentimes when someone's got a prodigal? I hear things like, well, we've done everything we know to do. We, we tried counseling. We tried intervention. We've tried this. We've tried that. We've grounded. We've tried taking their car away, their phone away, their games away. We tried grabbing them and pulling them to the floor so they don't do it. Then we tried this and we tried that. Now the only thing left we can do is pray. Huh. You know, think to yourself, how insulting is that to God? Now all we can do is hope God can do something, but he probably can't. You know, our first line of attack is prayer. Not some kind of safe little Sunday school polite prayer, but on your face with everything in you, crying out, God, I know you can. I don't see it possible, but I still believe. Go after him, God. You pray that and, and they'll have the right friends every single time. Take the wrong friends out, bring the right people in. Surround them with godly people. You pray that, that they will get caught when, when guilty. And if, and if you are bold and really, really mean business, you pray, God, do whatever it takes. And by the way, that, my friends, will be one of the scariest prayers that you ever pray. God, if they have to hit bottom, do whatever it takes. You start with un unwavering prayer. Number two, you live with unending patience. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's look at the prodigal's father when his son came home. Look at verse uh, 20. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. Let's pause there for a second, okay? Because this verse indicates perhaps that the father was on the edge of town or the edge of his property daily, looking, thinking, maybe today will be the day. Maybe today, maybe the next day, maybe today, the father never, ever, ever, ever gave up, and neither should we. The father didn't write him off and say, well, this is no son of mine, can't act like this and be a son of mine. The parents never said, well, we're now we're taking him out of our will. The parents also loved him enough to let him hit bottom, and this is really hard to do. But when and if that day comes, number three, you will, have, you will live with unconditional love, Okay. Let's go back to our scripture. Let's start with verse 20 again, where we find one of the most touching stories, okay? Start with verse 20 again. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Did the son deserve this kind of treatment? The father went crazy, right? Find Bessie the cow and kill her. We're eating steak tonight, right? Get the best robe and put it over his filthy body so that all I see is cleanliness from the outside. Find my biggest ring and put it on his finger. My son was blind, but now he sees. My son was lost, but now he's found. My son was dead, but now he is alive. And the father went crazy when the prodigal came home. Unconditional love. 
Now, you may know this or you may not. The moral behind Jesus' story of the prodigal son is this, that God is the heavenly father. And guess what? We, all of us, are the runaway. We are the ones in our own hearts that have run away and sinned, done things our own way. We are the self-centered ones. We are the ones who think we know it all. We are the ones that want immediate gratification. And God is that one that when we simply turn towards him, he he runs towards us. There are those of you today that, that are away from God, and I want you to hear what he has to say to you. Isaiah 30, 18 says, but the Lord still waits for you. But the Lord still waits for you. Right now, at this moment, he is waiting. And he is waiting for what? He is waiting for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord God is faithful. And guess what? His arms are open wide. He is waiting for you to come home. Amen. All right, that concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. We thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this series on parenthood. Uh, Next week, we start a new series called Bless This Home, where we want our family to enjoy peace, happiness, and contentment, but so often we stumble through our most important relationships. So join us in our new series, Bless This Home, next week. Talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.